All right, guys. So uh, this week is going to be rough, I think. I feel like it's going to be rough because it was a rough week. It was a rough week. I'm not going to lie. It was crazy. This week has probably been one of the hardest weeks that I've had in ministry uh, as a pastor. Uh, just all week, just this sense of I don't want to. Full disclosure, you guys. Like, I'm going to just keep it real with you guys because I think it's best to, to keep it real uh, with people. I'm a pastor, but that doesn't mean I'm above any, like, attacks from the enemy. It doesn't mean I'm above any kind of feelings of any kind of FOMO, any kind of anything. Whatever you guys experience, we all, I experience as well because we're all humans. We're all humans living in this sinful world. I've just been given the job of being a pastor. That's the only difference between myself and those of you who aren't pastors. You know, I've just been given the job as a pastor, but we are all children of God. And so this week, man, full disclosure, it's just been, it's been rough. I've been feeling like I don't want to be here. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to that building. I don't want to, I just, I just don't want to. I'd rather stay home. I'd rather sleep. I'd rather do anything else other than be in that place. Thursdays are the days that I usually prepare Bible studies. I prepared this Bible study yesterday and today. When, I, when it came time to start preparing, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm wasting my time. I would rather be somewhere else. This is so difficult. And that coupled with just this sense of, of, of this weird sense of sadness, uh, I won't call it depression, but it's just like, just this, this sense of just like, oh, there's the cloud over my head. And all of these things, it was rough emotionally, mentally, psychologically, it was rough. Spiritually, it was rough. So did I quit? No, because we are believers. I am a believer. I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. So even in the midst of me not wanting to be here, because I know that's my flesh, I still came, because I have a job to do. We all have jobs to do. Even in the midst of me not wanting to prepare this Bible study, I prepared the Bible study because I have the Spirit of God inside of me, and I have a job to do. So even if that means I have to fight against every single fiber of my being to obey the Lord, that's what we need to do, because the Lord has given all of us a job. So we need to do it regardless of how we feel. It may be difficult, but we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. We have all power that has been granted to us. So just keep pressing forward. No matter how you're feeling, just keep pressing forward, and then watch God work. And so, um, yeah, so it was tough. It was tough preparing this message. And, and usually what happens when, when, when that's the case is usually the Lord, like, speaks to somebody. Like, usually the enemy is just trying to thwart whatever it is the Lord wants to do on Friday night by messing with, with me, the pastor of, of the Young Adults Ministry. And so, I mean, I'm not... I'm not I'm not too excited about what's going to be shared tonight. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not really excited about it. But I just, there has to be a reason. There has to be a reason for everything that I was experiencing this week. There has to be. And so if this message, if by the end of the night you realize, oh, that message was for me, then I'm blaming you for everything that happened to me this week. It's your fault. And don't come up to me and tell me, oh, that was for me because I... I will not be held responsible for what I do after that, all right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I will not resort to violence. I promised my wife. Just kidding. Um, but anyway, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we're, uh, in general, we are going through the Gospel of Matthew, but we have arrived to Matthew chapter 5, 
And so that's the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's what we're going to be doing. And last week, um, I hope that last week was, uh, you know, for those of you that were here, I hope last week was beneficial to you all. Um, it was a bit of a, a stronger message. It was about being poor in spirit. And um, for those of you who weren't here, maybe you want to hear it again, the Zeal Young Adults podcast. You can go check out all of, uh, all of the messages that we've preached here on Friday nights. Um, and yeah, last week's message is up there. But hopefully it was, it was really a, a benefit to everybody. It was a benefit to me, to be honest, like just being reminded of the fact of, of how, how impoverished we are. Like we, we truly are poor in spirit. We have, nothing, we have nothing to offer God. And so it was just a really good reminder for me and hopefully it was for you as well. And, there was, and hopefully you left with some hope. Like it wasn't just like you stayed in this, in this place of, of like, oh man, I suck. Like, no, no, no. There's, hopefully you listened to the whole thing. You know, there's, there's hope. There, there is grace in, in God. So that's what we discussed last week as we are going through the Beatitudes. Um, so uh, we're going to continue in the Beatitudes. And the title of tonight's message, for those of you that are taking notes, the title of tonight's message is Good Morning. Good Morning but mourning spelled with like wah, crying, grieving, mourning. Um, I didn't mean to sound uh, mean. Uh, I know a lot about mourning. I've had many people die in my life, but good mourning. And the two points that we're going to be going over tonight, uh, point number one, redemptive mourning, redemptive mourning. And point number two, deep comfort, deep comfort. Um, so let's read the Beatitudes uh, in their entirety before we actually get into our first point of the night. So Matthew chapter five, if you brought your Bibles, I hope you did. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read the Beatitudes. We're going to start in verse 3. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so before we get into our first point, um, what does it mean to be blessed? For those of you who maybe weren't here last week or maybe you're just un un uncertain or unclear, what does it mean to be blessed, especially in the context that Jesus is saying here? Um, the, word, the Greek word that's translated to blessed here is, uh, I don't remember the word, but it's a word that was often used to describe those, uh, the dead or the Greek gods. And it described like this, this inner, this inward joy, this inward satisfaction, this this inward, um, this inward sense of being complete that was unaffected by the outside world. You know, if you think about, you know, the dead and the gods, you know, they're not affected by the outside world. They're, they're not a part of the, of, of the world. So they had this inner blessedness, this inner peace and, 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 and sufficiency that wasn't affected by death and disease and all of these things. It was just nothing could touch it. And, and, and for us... It's, it's, the very, it's a very characteristic of God, this blessedness, this, this sense of, of joy and peace and completeness. It's, it's God because he is unaffected by the world. So it's, it's, it's a characteristic of God that, that we can have in Christ. So that's what it means to be blessed. 
Um, so let's get into our first point, uh, redemptive mourning, redemptive mourning. So in light of our title, Good Morning, uh, we're going to be focusing on verse 4 tonight. Uh, so I'll just reread verse 4 for everybody. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, some commentators have said uh, that the Beatitudes are a sequence of events in a believer's life. Uh, some, uh, you know, first it starts with the coming um, of the realization of your spiritual poverty. Like, it's, that's how the Beatitudes start. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So it first starts by coming to this realization of your spiritual poverty. Salvation begins with this realization and confession. Only then can, can someone come to Christ for forgiveness and salvation. And it's, it's only in Christ's forgiveness and salvation that one can receive the kingdom of heaven as their own, which is what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of, of heaven will be theirs, is theirs. And it's not on your own merit. It's not on your own merit that gets you into heaven. You have no merit of your own. It's the merit, of, it's the merit and the work of Christ. That is the only thing that gets us into heaven. So the mourning, the mourning that Jesus is talking about here isn't our typical causes for mourning. It's not the loss of a loved one. It's not the loss of anything. It's, it's not being let down or disappointed, and, and then you're, you're mourning over that. It's, it's a mourning over your sin. That's what it is. It's mourning over your sin. Because when you do come to a place of being poor in spirit, you are aware that despite your sinfulness and your disobedience, God's grace is amazing in that it will surround your sin and it will drown your sin in his forgiving love. You are aware of that. And the fact that you did nothing to earn his grace and the fact that it cost him everything, you will mourn over the fact that, you, that, that all you had to offer was your poverty and all you currently have to offer is your poverty. Even after you've been saved and redeemed, we continue to have nothing to offer him, nothing but ourselves, an impoverished offering that he is still pleased and excited to receive, but it's, it's an impoverished offering nonetheless, and, and that ought to cause us to mourn. Like King David said in Psalm 51.3, he says, for I know my wrongdoings, I know my sins, and my sin is constantly before me. My sin is constantly just right here looking at me. And the word that is used in Matthew that is translated to mourn it's a Greek word that along with to mourn, it also means to lament. It means to grieve over, to wail. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a deep and severe form of grief. It's, it's heartfelt grief that was generally used when describing the loss of a loved one. There is a sense of, of deep inner agony in this word, mourning. And one of the reasons that this deep inner agony even has the ability to exist in our lives, the lives of a believer, is that our relationship and interaction with God has been transformed as believers. It's been transformed. We are no longer in this unfamiliarity with God. No longer. He is no longer the man upstairs or our genie who art in heaven. He is our savior. He is our father. He is our redeemer. We are very familiar with him now. 
And this is why we mourn over our sin. We are no longer people who are spiritually dead. We have been born again. Titus 3.5, it says, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy. According to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He regenerated us. He renewed us. He caused these dead bones to come to life. And since we are now alive, our interaction with him is in a much different place. The way that we interact with him is in a much different place. 1 John 1.6 says this, If we say that we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. So because he has renewed us and regenerated us and made us into new creatures, we don't walk in darkness like we used to. And if we do walk in darkness like we used to, then we are lying when we say, when we say that we know him. And then John goes on to say in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we know that we are in Christ because we are new creatures who walk in the light just as Jesus himself is in the light. But here's where John highlights the point that we're looking at tonight, 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So though we do not walk in darkness, we, we do not and should not have lives that are lived in such a way where sin rules. We don't look like or live like the world, those without Christ, and though we walk in the light instead, we live lives that are honoring to God, we follow him, we read his word, we, we conform our lives to his standards, we still have sin. We still have sin. And if we say that we don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If a supposed believer stands up and says that he or she doesn't have sin anymore, that he or she has, has no more sin inside of them, that somehow their faith in Jesus Christ has removed the presence of sin from their lives currently, then the word says that they don't have the truth inside of them. They are deceiving themselves. Because those who are in Christ, those who are in the kingdom, they are aware of their spiritual poverty, and there is to be a sense of mourning over that poverty in our lives. We are to mourn over these things. But how can you mourn over the existence of spiritual poverty if you don't believe that it exists in the first place? But Jesus tells us that we are to mourn. We are to mourn. We are to mourn over our sin. And again, one of the reasons we mourn is that our relationship with God has changed. Our relationship with God has changed. Isaiah 6, 9, it tells us that when Israel sinned against God, that it hurt him. It says that it crushed him when they were chasing their false idols. And so every time we, his children, sin against God, it hurts him. It crushes him. And we are crushing and hurting the one who gave everything to save us. He gave everything. It wasn't that we initially gave God a reason you know, to save us, and then somewhere along the, along the way we, we lost our way. No. Our way was always lost. And despite us having nothing to give him, 
to earn his grace. He gave it to us anyway. He gave it all to us. And it's for that reason that we continue now to mourn over our sin. We continue to mourn over our sin. Though we have reasons, we definitely have reasons to rejoice exceedingly. We have many reasons to be super joyous and excited about this new life that we have in Christ. We still ought to mourn. I read somewhere that being someone who mourns, it doesn't mean that you know, you're depressed or you never smile. You're just always, you're always in this state of sadness. You're like Charlie Brown walking around. Something's always bothering you. No, it means that we should live in this holy tension. We live in a holy tension of the reality of our fallen condition, and, and we also live in the bliss of redemption and the hope of restoration. I said this last week. We need to live lives that are constantly aware of our spiritual poverty while we simultaneously grow in the riches of his grace. It seems counterintuitive, seems paradoxical, but that's just what our faith is a lot of times. And it's in this paradox where we find that if we are mourning over our sin as believers, we will find that eternal blessedness because, similar to last week's message, when we come to God in our mourning over our sin, he does not leave us there to mourn. He doesn't leave us there. He comforts us. He comforts us, which brings us to our second point, deep comfort. So we mourn over our sin, but God gives us comfort. He does. And like I said just a bit ago, we mourn because our relationship with God has changed. Our relationship with God is different. People in the world, people without Christ, they don't mourn over their sin. They don't. They don't, they don't have a sense of remorse over their sin, unless they begin to experience, you know, the negative consequences of their sin, like they got caught or, you know, they got found out. They don't mourn over their sin. When my son does something wrong, when we get upset with him, he's not crying because, oh no, I did something wrong. He's crying because he got caught. There's a difference. But we redeemed and renewed people, we do mourn. We mourn because we look at what God has given us. We look at what God has given us, and then we get hit with the truth that our hearts and minds aren't always reciprocal with devotion to him. So some of us may think, like, God, you saved me out of a life of sexual sin, but here I am falling into that same sexual sin, or I'm being tempted to fall into that same sexual sin to gratify myself sexually. Some of us may be thinking, like, God, you saved me out of a life of covetousness, but here I am making comparisons and desiring what someone else has, be it possessions, relationships, economic status, looks, etc. however they may manifest itself. Some of us may be saying, like, God, you saved me out of a life that was completely enslaved to sin and darkness. But here I am, tempted, falling into any number of, of, of sins, even though you've saved me from so much. And those thoughts, those attitudes, those, those choices that we make, that, that, they, that occur in light of the grace of God showing his favor towards you, that, that, that he's saved you, that's what ought to cause you to mourn. All these thoughts, all these sinful thoughts, all these temptations that you are, that you are weak to, in light of God's grace towards you and saving you, that is what ought to cause you to mourn over your sin. You wish these things weren't there. 
Because even if you don't engage in these sinful things to commit them, to transgress, the fact that they are still present in your heart and your mind is enough to drive you crazy sometimes. I hate my sin. I hate my sin so much. I hate how awful my sin makes me feel. I hate that though I want to live a life that is holy before God, there is still evil present in me. The evil is still present in me. It frustrates me. It makes me mourn because God has given me so much in the cross of Christ. But he gives comfort. God gives comfort. That's why Jesus said that we are blessed when we mourn because we will be comforted. But it's only when we mourn in the right way. It's only when we mourn in the right way. Like I said earlier, it's, it, it, mourning in the right way isn't like, ooh, I got caught, so you know, now I'm mourning because I'm suffering the consequences of my sin. No, it's not that. It's like, oh, man, my spouse caught me cheating. Well, now I'm mourning over my sin because now my marriage is in shambles and I might get a divorce. But you know, blessed are those who mourn, right? It's not like, oh, man, I got caught in my lies. Now no one trusts me. And so now I'm mourning over my sin because no one trusts me. But it's okay because comfort is coming. You know, Jesus said so. Just like last week when I said that being poor in spirit isn't necessarily looking at yourself and seeing your own sins. It's looking at God and seeing his perfection. And his perfection reveals your infinite debt and poverty. Similarly, you don't look at yourself and the consequences of your sinful behavior to make you mourn over your sin. You look at him and his perfection and his grace to cause you to mourn over your sin. Like David said, after he committed adultery and murder, and after he stated that his sin is constantly before him in Psalm 51, this is what he says in verse 4. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned, and I've done this evil thing in your sight. The fact that he sinned against God, the God who lavished the riches of his grace upon him is what caused King David to mourn over his sin. And this should be our cause for mourning. But like I said, when we mourn, we are comforted. We're comforted. Our God is the God of all comfort. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, if you guys want to turn there, please turn there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we find an example of the avenue that this comfort will come through. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, so in, these, in the letters to the Corinthians, for those of you who don't know, the Apostle Paul, he's giving the believers in Corinth, he's giving them some hard truths, especially in the first letter. But then in the second letter, after laying into them in, in the first letter, he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. It says, for even if I grieved you with my letter, I do not regret it. Even though I did regret it since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a little while. Now I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to salvation, but worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice 
In every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. And we'll stop there. When you mourn over your sin, when your sin produces grief in the right way, godly grief, it produces repentance. It produces repentance, which leads to salvation. But when you mourn over your sin in the wrong way, you have grief the way that the world grieves over sin. It produces death. It produces death. Because even if the grief over your sin, when you grieve in the world's way, even, even if that grief uh, uh, produces an attitude of never wanting to commit that sin again, it still leads to death because your repentance and your sorrow is not in light of the God who was crucified. So it's still leading to death. But when we are mourning, us believers, when we are mourning and grieving over our sin, repentance is produced, and that repentance is produced in light of the God who died for us, and that leads to life. And the result of this life-giving repentance is diligence, according to verse 11. It's a desire to clear yourself. It produces indignation towards your sin. It produces fear of ever falling again. It produces a deep longing to honor God with zeal. It produces a deep understanding, a deeper understanding of God's justice. And you will become more pure in the end because your grief and repentance will push you to distance yourself from your sin. I don't want to do that again. And that's comforting. That's comforting. It's comforting to know that even though we may mourn and grieve over the sin in our lives, if we are in Christ, that sorrow and grief will be godly sorrow and godly grief, which leads to repentance and a renewed zeal for God. That's amazing grace. That's amazing grace. So knowing that our sin and the grief that we have before God, it won't remain. Knowing that our sin and the grief that we have before God won't remain, but rather it will result in greater grace. This always results in greater grace. Knowing, knowing that is, is, is the avenue that this comfort will come through. Just knowing that like, God, I come to you grieving over my sin. I hate my sin, especially because of what you've done for me. But you're not going to stay in that grievous state. God is going to renew you to repentance. Like, that's comforting. That's enough. And to take this comfort a little deeper, a little more foundational, this comfort, it ultimately comes from the fact that this entire relationship that we have with God it began with us bringing nothing to the table and God giving us everything in exchange. We brought nothing to the table. So we said, here, God, here's nothing. And he said, okay, well, here you go. I'm going to give you everything. That's why entrance into the kingdom, according to the Beatitudes, it starts with being poor in the spirit. God, I have nothing to offer you. I see your law. I see your perfection. I see that I break your law all the time. My debt is unpayable. I have nothing to give you. So would you please, please have mercy on me. Please have mercy on me because if you don't show me mercy, then I have no hope of being forgiven. I need you. I deserve to be punished forever, but I need your mercy. And God says, perfect. That's perfect. Here's my grace. Here's my grace. You're forgiven. You're chosen. You're mine forever. That's what God says. And then you... 
you come back to God. You come back to God after receiving that grace. And you say, God, I just keep messing up. I keep sinning against you. I keep being tempted to sin against you. I don't want to keep falling short like this. I know you hate this. I know you hate this sin. You hate sin. I know it. And I know that you saved me and that you forgave me. But these sins, they keep burdening me. God, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to do. And God says, perfect. Here's some more grace. Here's some more grace. You're still forgiven. You're still chosen. You are still mine forever. Still, nothing has changed and rinse and repeat. You just, you're just going to keep doing that until you're with him forever in heaven. You just, just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Here we go. Back to step one. After you complete step two, go back to step one and then go to step two. And after you're done with step two, go back to step one. It's just going to be repeating. This will be the conversation over and over again with God. Because as you grow in maturity in Christ, you're not going to realize that, that his forgiveness and his grace is so great that your sins become less offensive and less of an issue. Nah. As you grow in maturity in Christ, you're going to realize that so much of what's in your life is stained with sin. So much. Your sensitivity to sin will be greater. You'll have a greater sensitivity to sin. It's not, well, now that God has washed my sins away, uh, they're no longer there, so now there's no need to acknowledge them. Absolutely not. It's, well, now that God has washed my sins away, I keep seeing more and more clearly how much sin is actually in my life and how those sins are seeking to dirty me up again. That's the difference between a true believer and a believer that's deceived. A true believer and one who is deceived. A true believer will realize that sin is still a major issue that they need to be ready to resist or to run away from. A deceived believer, they won't give sin a second thought because oh, we're forgiven, man. Why think about it? A true believer will mourn over their sin because their love for God causes them to view their sin the same way that God views it, and he hates it. A deceived believer doesn't have the capacity to mourn over their sin because if Christ died for our sins, then what's the big deal? It's a very big deal. A deceived believer is self-focused. They're so self-focused. I'm forgiven, so why bum myself out? I'm forgiven, so why dwell on the negativity, man? Why dwell on the negative things of my life? I'm forgiven, and God has wonderful plans for my life, so I'm just going to choose to focus on that. A true believer is God-focused. We are God-focused. I'm forgiven. And it breaks my heart that I break his heart through my sin. Nothing else matters. And a deceived believer will hear a message like this, where comfort and grace and forgiveness are inexhaustibly offered to the sinner. A deceived believer will hear this like, oh, grace is forever, kindness is forever, the love of God is forever. And they'll see it as a license or a permission to continue willingly falling short of God's standard. Whereas a true believer will hear a message like this, where comfort and grace and forgiveness are inexhaustibly offered to the sinner, and it will push them to live a life of true repentance and make even greater efforts to live godly. 
Not to earn God's favor, let's be clear, but because God's favor has already been freely given. So it's not to earn God's favor, but because God's favor has already been freely given. The power of God is the gospel, you guys. That is the power of God. The good news of the cross of Christ is the greatest thing anyone will ever hear or accept into their lives. And that's why it's so sad to me. It's so sad to me when I hear preachers give messages that are so self-focused, so focused on self. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless your career. God wants to bless your business. God wants to bless your relationships. Let's spend a month or two talking about relationships, how you've been hurt in past relationships, and how that affects your current relationships, and how we can make sure that you have good future relationships. People's ears are ticklish. People have ticklish ears. They want more than the cross. The cross is boring. I want to hear about how much God wants to do through my life instead. Don't get me wrong. Those things, to a certain degree, are true. God is involved in the details of your life. He is. God does have plans for you. They're most, like, most likely not this, the plans that you have for your life, though. The Bible says that God's thoughts aren't our thoughts and his ways aren't our ways. So if you have an idea like, oh, this is what God's going to do through my life, you're probably wrong. But he does have plans for your life. But what can be greater than the cross, you guys? What can be greater than the cross? You know, I knew someone. He stated that he started out as a Christian, as, as you, know, a, one of the, you know, a Christian in the South, you know, reading the Bible and all that stuff. But as, as, as they kept going in their walk, uh, they, got, they got bored. They, they got bored of, of the same message, bored of the same old, same old. So then they went into some, some distortion of Christianity. They, they went into some, some sort of distortion of the Bible where the focus is clearly on the law and, and your ability to keep the law. It's a focus on self. It's a focus on self. So this person, they didn't get bored um, with the same old message, they got bored of Jesus. They got bored of the cross. They wanted to put the focus back on themselves. That's what they wanted. Look at what I can do for God. Look how I keep the law. Look how I keep the Sabbath. But if you truly understood your position, how deeply and terrifyingly impoverished you are before God, the cross can't bore you. It's impossible. If you truly understand, understood your spiritual poverty, how can the cross bore you? The depths of God's grace and his love are waters that we can never get to the bottom of. And even when we think we reach the bottom of God's grace and love, it just, it's going to continue getting deeper and deeper still. God's grace and his love is infinite. The minute you think you've reached the bottom, it's already gone because there's still more to go. And that's why I focus here on Friday nights. That's why I focus on the word. That's why I focus on the word and not you. I'm sorry. I focus on the word. I'm not here to make you feel better about yourself. I don't think the Lord placed me here to make you feel better about yourself by giving you fluffy messages about how much God wants to bless you and use you. I focus on presenting you, presenting all of us how we truly are, in the presence of God and who he is and how much he has done for us on the cross despite us.
and then also the many other truths that are found in the Bible. And then I'll let the Spirit do the work guiding you and, and, and helping you see where you know, God wants to take you. Let the Spirit do the work. But what's God's focus, you guys? Just think about it. What, if, if you were to read the entirety of the Bible, what's God's focus? What, 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 is, what is the point of the Bible? What's the point of all of it? It's redeeming sinful men and women to a holy and just God who showed us his love and giving his own life in exchange for ours. Though God is deeply involved in your life, he is involved in showing you who your spouse is. He is involved in showing you your career or, or showing you what business you ought to get into. He is involved in all of the details of your life. He is. But let's get some perspective. Let's get some perspective. What's God most concerned about? What's the Bible about? It's the story of redemption. It's all about Jesus. Everything else is a far, far second. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, which is the reason, getting back to our point of the night, that's the reason that we mourn over our sin. He redeemed us. He redeemed us. That's why we mourn. And in a strange way, but also in a very poetic and a very God way, and this is just, just what God does, the cause of our grief is also the cause of our comfort. We grieve and we mourn over our sin because we see what he has done for us on the cross. But then we are comforted in our grief when we see what he has done for us on the cross. It's all about him. Like, can't you see that? Like, it's, it's all about him. That's why we focus on preaching him. It might be nice to hear those messages where you leave motivated to attack your business plan. You know, you're motivated to conquer the giants in your life. But if you leave here, if you leave here fully understanding what God has done for you in Christ, that he has conquered death, that he has conquered death on your behalf because you couldn't do it, that he has provided the solution for the biggest problem that you will ever have, which is that you are going to die and stand before God in your sins, and God in his justice will have no choice but to declare you guilty and to punish you and banish you to hell, a place where the fire does not die, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But he came in, he came in and took that punishment for you on your behalf. And when you believe that he did this for you, when you believe that he did this for you. He not only removes that sin from you, he also gives you all of his perfection. So you will not only stand before God with absolutely no trace of sin, but you are also going to stand before God with every trace of his righteousness and perfection. It's not just that your sins won't be visible. It's what will be visible is his righteousness and his perfection that Jesus Christ achieved. And then after that, amen, after that, you will be with him forever in heaven, forever. And if you leave fully understanding that, what giants in your life can you not face? You dealing with the bully? He conquered death. You have a mean boss? He conquered death. 
You feel sad and lonely? He conquered death. Stop focusing on yourself. Stop focusing on yourself. If you delight yourself in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. Because your desires, if you delight yourself in him, will also be his desires. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of your needs will be provided for you. He conquered death. He conquered death. What else is there that he can't do? And what else is there that should cause us concern? Death has been taken care of. Stop trying to control situations. Stop trying to will things into existence. Stop building your kingdom on this earth. He conquered death. And this is what I choose to focus on. This is what I choose to focus on and present to you all every week. Because the implications of this fact that he conquered death, they are infinitely eternal. If your business goes under, the consequences of that are a few years, maybe longer. If all of your relationships fail, the consequences of that doesn't last into eternity. If you don't get into that school, if you don't maintain your friendship with that person, if you don't get that job, if life doesn't end up going the way that you wanted it to go, that disappointment will remain on this side of heaven. But if you don't have your position with God taken care of, that will last forever. And if you do have your position with God taken care of, that will also last forever. Where will your forever be? If you choose to enjoy your sin now, you will forfeit any kind of true comfort, both now and forever, as you will spend the rest of eternity suffering and separated from God in hell. But if you choose to mourn over your sin in light of who God is and what he has done now, then you can have true comfort now and in the next life as you dwell in heaven with God forever. You guys like that? I like it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your comfort. And Father, I just want to pray for all of the believers in here. God, I pray for all of us to truly have that, that sense, Lord, that, that, that perspective that you are the foremost. You are the most important thing. Without you, there is nothing. All of, our, all of the issues that we are facing in this life so small, Lord, in comparison to who you are. And, and, and the consequences and the implications of the things that we are dealing with on this earth, they will remain on this earth. They don't get carried over into eternity. And so, Father, help us to have that perspective that no matter what's going on, that we are always going to be mindful of you. We are always going to be aware of the fact that you are holy you are in heaven, and you have given us so much grace 
that we have not deserved. And we continue, we continue, God, to show ourselves unworthy of that grace even as we are redeemed. So God, may we mourn over our sin. May we have a sense of mourning over our sin because you tell us that when we do, we are blessed because we will be comforted. So I thank you for that, Lord, and I pray that all believers would be encouraged with that. And Lord, I also want to pray for the non-believers. And now as, as, I, as I transition, I, I don't know everybody, so if you would please do me the favor of keeping your, your heads bowed and eyes closed. If there's anybody in here, there are a lot of first-timers, people who've been coming. Maybe you thought you were a believer. I don't know. But I just want to pray for you. If there's anybody in here who uh, wants to profess faith in Jesus Christ because you've never truly professed faith in Jesus Christ before. You thought you did maybe, but you've realized that no, it's not real. I didn't have a true faith. I didn't know what it means to be poor in spirit. I didn't know what it means to mourn over my sin. I just thought God was entitled to God's grace, that of course God is going to forgive me. Why wouldn't he? He's a loving God. But you never took the time to look at the fact that you are infinitely in debt and that you don't deserve his forgiveness. And so you come to God as a poor beggar, completely reliant on his grace and mercy. So if there's anybody in here who wants to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ because you never have before, or you thought you did, but now you realize you didn't really have a faith, I want to pray for you. And so if you would do me the favor of raising your hand so that I can pray for you. Anybody at all, anybody in here thought you had a faith in Christ or you want to profess faith in Jesus Christ, raise your hand. Right on. All right, Lord, so I just thank you so much for this night. And God, I just pray that as we continue this night of worship, God, be in the midst of our, of our praises. You inhabit the praises of your people. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, continue working on our hearts even as we, as we worship with this closing time of worship, Lord. So I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.